Hey everyone, welcome to the Crypto Unstacked podcast, where we cover everything from crypto trading and investing to NFTs, decentralized finance, and so much more. The Crypto Unstacked podcast is meant for informational purposes only and should not be considered financial or investment advice. Nothing expressed in this podcast should be construed as a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell financial products. This podcast is sponsored by CoinFlex, the home of crypto yield. Whether you're passively managing money or taking an actively managed approach, you can earn and trade crypto easily on CoinFlex, which sees over $2 billion in daily trading volume. CoinFlex is committed to making crypto derivatives yield accessible to everyone, whether you are investing hundreds or thousands of dollars and more. With a newly launched automated market-making product called AMM+, you can earn yield on crypto by providing liquidity into the futures markets. The AMM Plus is 10 times more capital efficient than other automated market makers and offers multiple collateral types so that you can earn more with less. Interested in learning more about CoinFlex and trying out the AMM Plus? Head over to coinflex.com AMM to get started and let the market work for you. Mark Nichols, welcome to Crypto Unstacked. Thank you for having me, Leslie. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's been a, a while since we started chatting about you coming on the podcast. And, you know, it's been really great to be able to build up our relationship, kind of just to understand how crypto has evolved and we're using each other as a sounding board to really just understand this space. And I think, you know, you coming in from the financial advisory side really allows us to be able to look into a perspective that we haven't yet been able to explore on this podcast. So super excited to have you kind of give us that rundown today. I can't wait to dive into all of the things that we have. So Mark, you're the product director at Arbor Digital, a subsidiary of Arbor Capital, which is a registered investment advisory firm that's been around since 1996. So have lots of experience there. Help our audience get to know you. What has influenced your career in financial advisory? Um, and maybe you can talk a little bit about your day-to-day -day working with clients. Absolutely. So I guess uh, the place to start would be, uh, I come from the traditional side. So traditional finance, uh, I started off at a big wirehouse, uh, Merrill Lynch, who I'm sure your audience will be very familiar with. Um, and then I transitioned to uh, one of the discount brokerage firms. And it was interesting seeing the two different business models operate, especially from an advisory standpoint. You know, What are the differences between how clients are served underneath the two? So it's been a really unique experience for me because I got to see those differences in everyday client interactions. So fast forward, you know, I ran my own book uh, for about five years in New York, in the New York market or North New Jersey market, which is where I'm from. Uh, I grew up in Princeton, graduated from there, uh, lived in an academic community, if you will, for a while. So um, I feel like all, all these dynamics have come into play as I've been going into this new environment that is crypto and this whole new world. But it's helped shape me because in my learnings from the traditional side and in as an advisor for clients, you got to you know, form relationships. And one of the things I learned is that when you're advising clients, it's much more than just allocating. It's much more than just helping people generate wealth. You're helping them preserve wealth. You're helping them with financial engineering to make the most out of what they earn from whatever uh, income streams that they generate or however they get their capital. 
it's it's a puzzle. And I always enjoyed the puzzle to be solved. And then you layer on top of that the psychology of money and investing. You get these really interesting crossroads, if you will, of the two. And so when you're you can build this perfect plan and this perfect investment allocation strategy, and then the client won't connect to it emotionally. And then regardless of how good it is on paper, you know, it's really tough to get them to influence them to make the proper decisions. So the la- one of the last things I learned was essentially how to influence people to make decisions that won't, you know, destroy their current wealth, but also the future wealth that they're trying to build. So uh, that's a little bit about me. That's kind of my mindset when I go into this and why all of these pieces get me so excited about what's happening in the crypto space, because I feel like the technology and just the structure of these blockchains and assets and new organizations that are DAOs, I think they're really going to become ingrained over the next, you know, eight to 10 years to, to change how we deliver on all these things that you know, we've done in the traditional world. Do you remember what it was like to get your very first client? (laughs) Absolutely. You never forget the first one. And it was so messy, as I'm sure any, if you're an advisor listening to this, the first one's always messy. You have this plan and you have this vision that, and you've done all this work. And, and that's where I should say that it takes a lot of work and a lot of studying as, as anyone knows to put yourself in a position to be able to take on the responsibility of advising clients about their money. So you, you do all this work for years to get in this place. And then that first client client, you think it's going to go one way and it just doesn't go that way at all. <laughs> it's right at the get go. You learn very quickly that there is an art form to delivering financial advice, whether it is to an individual client or a business, because no matter what, the human brain underscores everything. So that's uh, that's what I remember about my first client. And they I still talk to that client today, by the way. So if you're scared and you're good and you're about to get your first client, they're going to be with you because they understand it too. But yes, I absolutely do. It was messy. It was clunky. I I fumbled. I didn't know how to talk. You know, I thought I had this big plan and it just didn't go that way. But, but in the end, we, we got to where we needed to be. I wonder if financial advisors today feel some form of that experience again. Obviously not with their very first client working on their very first book, but looking at entirely new asset class and trying to figure out how to explain what it is this ecosystem has to offer to their existing clients in a way where it's understandable, it's accessible. I wonder if a lot of those same feelings that you had early on kind of bubble up again, you know, Mm -hmm. and so it's really interesting now that you're you're kind of at the forefront, bring this narrative for your clients, which I understand is the RIA market, correct? Yes, the registered investment advisory market. Yeah, I think it would be really helpful if you broke down that market for us. How big is this market that you're serving? And in terms of the interest, you know, give us a sense of where within this ecosystem, you know, a, a lot of the attention is being paid to right now. Absolutely. So, so yeah, so you mentioned at the beginning of the call, Arbor Capital Management, which is our parent company that Arbor Digital lives under, which has been in existence as an independent advisor uh, since 1996. So there's a rich history there. And I think that gives actually a lot of people comfort when they come to us. But the market, I think the most recent survey I saw from TD Ameritrade's institutional side uh, was that there's about $1.4 trillion under management in the RIA industry alone. Now, when you start tackling on, you know, wirehouses and other advisory outfits that operate underneath those umbrellas, you get into the, you know, 20 to $25 trillion plus market. And that's kind of the opportunity. And then you could go even further into the global opportunity, which crypto is global. 
And I think that's something that gets lost in the shuffle. We get very US centric and there's a, you know, there's a home bias absolutely within crypto, especially within the advisory space. So, but when you take that into the global, you, I mean, you really can attach any astronomical, you know, I've heard some people say a hundred, you know, a hundred, 150 trillion plus, but you know, that, that number is truly unknown, but it is up there. And so there is a very unique and high opportunity for growth for advisors to not only just allocate, but also get up to speed. And that's where I'm glad you asked that question, because I think the opportunity gets lost uh, for advisors. And I think the opportunity where that's where if you just read headlines, the opportunity would just be, okay, we have to get an investment allocation for clients. And I think that's just the surface level opportunity. And if you really look underneath the hood, the opportunity really is connecting with the next generation of investor, the next generation of business owners, the next generation of entrepreneurs coming out and learning about blockchain, about crypto, about these new capital formations that are enabled by this technology. And advisors need to get educated to where they can service them with all of the traditional wisdom that they have um, you know, over the 30 to 50 years. And then we have hundreds of years of investment and wealth advisory techniques that we can implement to help those that new investor base. Yeah, I mean, this is where things get interesting because I imagine there are you know, those in the audience who are sort of in your position as well, where maybe they're working with an investment advisor and, you know, they are charged with the task of building out something like Arbor Digital, the crypto arm of this investment advisory. And they're trying to understand, okay, well, we didn't get in, uh, you know, back in 2010, 2012. Uh, we don't really have someone with that native crypto experience, but we know we want to be able to offer this opportunity to our clients. Question is, how do I get started, right? If I'm tasked with this effort. So can you go through and, and talk about how you helped to set up Arbor Digital and the evolution of what needed to happen? in order for you to be able to service this, you know, ridiculously large RIA market that you've just talked about? Absolutely. And uh, it's an important question because there's a lot of work that goes in. And the first place I'll start is that it started much sooner and with people other than me. You know, I wasn't one of the founders of Arbor Digital. And that goes to Matt Koleski, who is a partner uh, and co-owner of Arbor Capital. And he's been in the space since oh gosh, 2010 actively. And when I say that, he's he's been aware of the space since the Satoshi white paper and Bitcoin and was active in terms of mining. And he has been through his own experiences and pain and suffering through the Mt. Gox hack. And he's also been actively engaged with Ethereum since its inception in 2015. So there's a rich history from the founder of Arbor Digital, which is Matt Koleski, and then when you go into the work then from an RIA or an advisor or a fiduciary standpoint too, okay, how do now we offer this? We see the opportunity because I've been in this so long. It then goes into compliance is the first place, due diligence to be able to offer this. And so, so that work started in 2016. And so I think a lot of people don't understand, you know, they see a, a product come to market and they think, oh, they just started. We, you know, we launched our, our separately managed account portfolio offering. Uh, for advisors in November of 2020. And we were allocating to our individual investors uh, at, at that same time to our portfolios. But there was four years of work that went into it prior to that. And it all started with compliance. You know, 
how do you trade? How do you custody? You know, all the same <laughs> issues and things that are being solved for on the institutional side today. That's where it all started for us. And so there was a lot of work and a lot of back and forth with many different companies, a lot of conversations, a lot of doors being shut, a lot of saying, we don't touch this, or we don't know about this enough to even give you anything to where you can go and offer this. And so finally, there were, you know, there were some more tech forward companies. So we got in early with a company called BitRA, or at the time they were called Blockchange. And they recently got acquired by Gemini, which, you know, should be a familiar name to your audience which allowed us to take direct exposure of crypto assets as opposed to allocating through a fund structure like a GBTC or even something like a Bitwise product. Right. So yeah, so the compliance work, and I think uh, that's where all that went into before being able to offer this. And that was a lot of work. It's a full-time job just for that. So I would say that's what happened before we even launched. Did Arbor Digital at any point directly invest in crypto? As part of assessing and monitoring the market and the opportunities, you know, did you guys get any direct exposure at any point in time? Yeah. So we started off uh, getting exposure for clients through GBTC, which is Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, which, you know, uh, Grayscale is a big name in the, in the industry, pioneers, really. So even though the investment vehicle isn't the most efficient, you, we can't underscore the impact of bringing that type of product to life so quickly, which is we have to give them that kudos. But when you see the inefficiencies of that type of vehicle and then something that direct exposure, yes, Arbor Digital sought out to then, let's go do this ourselves and we'll, we'll take the risk and we'll be the test case and we'll be the, the case study, if you will. So before we allocate any clients to, you know, personally, we were doing this ourselves. And that's where, again, a lot of work happens in that four years prior to, you know, how do you set up a wallet, you know, getting actively engaged into DeFi, um, how do you, uh, you know, participate in the liquidity pool or any of these other protocols? You know, there, there's so much more now that you can do actually to become actively engaged. But before we do any of it, we test it out ourselves. So yes, when we developed our relationship with blockchain, we first did it ourselves. And I think the first iteration was just doing an individual account. And then the next iteration was being able to offer it in retirement accounts. And again, taking our own funds, taking our own and taking on that risk ourselves. And then once we knew we had the compliance infrastructure established, um, we hit a comfort level. And then Matt Koleski also works with a lot of working groups and other councils and organizations that are directly connected to, you know, regulatory bodies. Um, and we actually, you know, do white papers and stuff with an organization called Planner DAO. So we felt comfortable that we had everything established to protect ourselves, protect our clients. And we had gone through those active steps first before ever engaging client assets with that. Right. And you mentioned Planner Dow. We're going to get to that later in our conversation because that's so crucial uh, to really, I think, both the educational piece of the puzzle that you guys are offering to the RIA market, but also on the product side, right? They're, they're building on a product that is accessible or should be accessible to anyone who's looking to get that exposure into the market through an index, right? So we're going to talk about that later on in the conversation. But, it, you know, I'd be curious to know, like, what are the top questions that your clients ask you at this point in time? All right. You've mentioned it's not just Bitcoin. It's not just Ethereum anymore. There are many more products that exist out there outside of Grayscale's GBTC product. Now we have this whole ecosystem of DeFi, right? Where does the conversation begin and what questions are you being asked? I would say the number one question would be around compliance. How do you safely custody these assets? 
And that's the solution. That's what's being solved for. And that's where most of the work gets done today. And we feel very confident in the solution that we have for clients in terms of Gemini acting as a qualified custodian under the New York Division of Financial Services. The second question then comes, what are the regulatory concerns? What should I be most concerned with from a regulatory standpoint? Because again, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum, and I think the misconception here, the myth is that crypto is unregulated. That's not true. It's, it's true to a degree. Bitcoin and Ethereum are very much regulated as, you know, as property, digital property, right? And I think where we start, where we go beyond Bitcoin and Ethereum, that's where the regulatory concerns come. What happens if these crypto assets be deemed as securities? And we actually manage our portfolio, manage the entire product as if they were. So that way, if any regulatory body comes in and something happens in that regard, we've already prepared for it. And that's kind of comes into some of the work that's gone before that. We've done the triage. We've done the worst case scenario planning to where what happens if this goes to zero? What happens if regulatory bodies come in and completely regulate the, the onboard and offboarding? Because that's what really can happen. They can't actually reg regulate the Bitcoin network. We know that. Right. And you know that lots of lawyers have to be consulted and lots of time and energy have to go into those. And so that's where the, the second question comes around the regulatory concern. So those are our top two questions where a lot of it comes around. And it's really interesting because we spend all this time and energy and you see like, we have to bring this product to market as an investment solution. But actually the investment part ends up being the easy part. The other parts are the harder parts. <laughs> right, you have to bring them over the hurdle of understanding how to even get set up, right? And, or how you guys are helping them to get set up. And then, you know, they trust you already because you're already working with them in a capacity to build out their portfolio. So it's not so much a question of your capability as a financial advisor. It's more just wanting to make sure that the infrastructure is sound, right? And any regulatory concerns are addressed to the extent they can be because it's always changing, you know, and that's really what we're seeing on the crypto yield side of the industry, you know, that that whole thing you know, change really a lot in the last couple of months um, in the U.S. market alone. So you have a very big task ahead of you of needing to monitor what's going on, managing client expectations at the same time, educating them mm -hmm. about what you're bringing them into, you know, if they're choosing to go down that route. Yeah, absolutely. What the market needs right now for specifically for RAs is not just an allocation solution to where they can provide that for their clients. And that's where, again, I think when when we originally connected and, you know, when you were a guest on our podcast, which was one of our top episodes, by the way, um, it really starts with education and not just uh, client education, advisor education. And there's a lot of time, energy and resources that go into making sure that your advisors understand the new language and the new world. and it, that's what it is. It's a new language. And it's it's only scary at the beginning. And then once you start going through that process of getting educated and becoming familiar, and I think that's the, we talk about education, but then familiarity, I think is a big word that we use a lot. Just being more familiar with staking, right? Staking, you could just think of as a dividend, right? Just as an example. And once you start being able to make these connections um, that we've already have based on our wisdom of in the traditional world, it makes it much easier for advisors to grasp what's happening and what these assets truly are, as opposed to just reading headlines or, you know, common FUD, you know, fear, uncertainty and doubt around the bad side. And that's where, while our SMA, our separately managed account and our portfolio offering is the gateway, if you will, 
our services are wide ranging. And that's where we see four main pieces to a full crypto offering. If you're going to, if you are going to engage in this space and actively start talking to clients about it, one is you need the operational infrastructure. And that's where that means service. That means getting clients onboarded. The second is education, education first, getting your advisory team up to speed, then also bringing that education to your clients before ever allocating any dollars. The third is then around traditional wealth strategies. So you have a lot of investors or a lot of clients now who maybe work in the space, who now have spent the last 10 years building wealth in crypto because that's how they got paid. And now they have amassed all of this uh, capital and they are now just like any other investor uh, where you can deploy wealth strategies that go beyond just investing. You know, so uh, one of the uh, a couple of client scenarios that we've run into is, you know, we've had multi-million dollar gains on positions and clients just because they don't have an advisor when they first got into and started building this this wealth, they just continue to do their own thing. And they maybe make some decisions that they maybe would have done differently if they had a trusted resource where they can help them financially engineer things based on what their goals were. So we had a client who took a five million dollar gain on a crypto position and then had to experience that tax bill. And then it wasn't until after that they said, wait a second, maybe I should consult a, an advisor. And then at that point, it's, it's a little too late to incorporate, you know, the things that could save that future wealth that could have been kept under, under the client's purview. And a, a second example is then, you know, incorporating uh, estate planning, legacy planning. You know, there are uh, charitable remainder trusts or grantor annuity trusts uh, that you can start utilizing as a, as a wealth strategy for those clients that, that have families that want to create these legacy plans and then also protect and preserve the wealth that they've worked so hard to build. And that's, you could love or hate crypto. You don't have to allocate. You don't have to believe in it. They, these clients have these needs. And so that's where we like to set up our firms that come to us to be able to now build a, a, a new section of business for these new clients to be able to serve the needs that are evolving of this new investor base. So, and I think that's where the last piece then comes to investing. <laughs> so it's funny, these three layers of services actually come on top of the investing piece. And that's where we've been finding a lot of success with our, with our clients. And they've actually been growing their businesses now ever since coming along, because once they then say that, oh, we'll happily talk to you about your crypto, what do you have? You know, let us know, what's your story? Clients start opening up a little bit more and they feel less judged. And, you know, you find out you've got a $10 million client, a $50 million client here that you didn't even know you had. And yeah, we're just seeing a lot of opportunities just come from these conversations that have nothing to do with investing. <laughs> <laughs> How many of these clients fall into the category of next generation investors? People who are clued up because they're of the younger generation and they are trying out crypto, regardless if they're telling you or not, they're trying out crypto and, you know, they foresee wealth that's generated, potential wealth that's generated through crypto uh, as a meaningful part of their overall portfolio, whether it's inherited or it's built, right? So what do those conversations look like? Like, do you, do you have them, you know, directly with some of these, these clients? Or, you know, if you are only speaking to the RIAs, how did they position themselves to talk to this next generation so that they don't 
cut themselves out of the equation, right? Because we know for a fact that ownership is key when it comes to crypto. Mm -hmm. And the next generation really likes trying things out. I want to do this. I want direct exposure. My financial advisor says I should be getting into this. I should question that a little bit, you know? And, and so we're kind of coming across that scenario as well as money is being transferred, right, to the next generation. So can you talk a bit about that? So the really cool thing that we found over the last year and a half with a direct exposure crypto offering and with our advisors is that the conversations are not just happening with that younger investor base. The older investor base is absolutely getting involved and it's through the younger generations in their household. And so when I say the older generations, I'm talking, you know, 75 and between that 55 and 75 year old demographic, Mm. they're actually just as excited. And I was shocked when we did our, when we did one of our first education events for one of our advisor clients. And again, mostly clients with older, older money, they've been generating it over the last 50, 40 to 50 years. They came in and you could tell that they were just a little, you know, skeptical of what we were about to do that day. And 10 minutes in of us just talking about crypto and blockchain, the questions just flooded. And then the story started coming out. And then you started hearing, well, my son, who is an engineer over in San Francisco, and and I'm based in Austin, Texas. So we're a very tech heavy culture here. You know, a lot of these parents have a lot of uh, children who are in their mid 40s now or mid 30s that are you know, high level executives or high level engineers at these firms. And they're like, well, my son showed me this and then I'm hooked. And then I bought this NFT. What's a board ape? And I was shocked. You bought a board ape and had no idea what you bought. And that's where, again, the conversations we then have with advisors around the value that you can add to these clients, that actually has nothing to do with investing. It's just helping them make good decisions. And they're going to get engaged whether you like it or not, because <laughs> they their kids are getting into it. and. So I guess that's the first conversations we're having too. It's, it's not just with the younger investors, but I would say the majority of the investors that have a lot of crypto wealth, so I'm talking, you know, those 10, you know, $5 million plus clients that have generated that wealth, those are younger investors who have been in the space for the last 10 years, probably building in it. We call them our crypto natives. They understand the space. They only want to be in that space. When we were having these conversations and, and, you know, we have a full team at Arbor Digital and, you know, one of our teammates is Kirby Houchin. He's a CFP, Certified Financial Planner, which is the premier designation for financial planning that we see as the bar. Um, you know, for me, my, my expertise and my training kind of more is on the uh, investment management side. And then we have, you know, Matt, he's really the compliance officer and director. But really when it comes down to, if you have a client who comes to you and says, I need help. I've generated this amount of wealth and you turn them away because you don't believe in the asset class. Are you really doing your fiduciary duty? And so we decided, we made a conscious decision at our firm that we were not going to do that. And that's kind of how these conversations now evolve with these younger investors. These younger investors who come to us now, they understand we're open and honest with what we do, how we do it. And we're getting, and our firm is growing now because these clients are more comfortable coming to a firm like us. And it's not just us who are comfortable. There are many other RIAs and And these RA owners are younger. They see the opportunity and they're building their businesses in this niche now. And that's just a trend in the industry. In the RA industry, the trend has been going to more niche. Rather than being a jack of all trades, you find that niche that you want to build your business on. So whether it's, you know, compensation planning, uh, you know, these high earners that get a lot of their wealth in, you know, stock options. And then how do you engineer your 
your wealth and capital to be able to maximize both for in the in the short term and then also in the in the long term to to meet whatever financial goals you have. You can find a niche and that's where we're finding there's a crypto niche and you just have to be willing to dive into that space. Um, so the conversations are wide ranging across demographics and it's not just the younger investors. And I will say that I think it was 53% uh, from a recent survey from Bitwise that millennial investors and below, they plan on holding at least 50% of their wealth in crypto. Mm. So regardless if you believe in it or not, as an advisor, you have to understand what your clients want and need. And again, whether 50% is the right thing to do, that's not your judgment to make at the beginning. It's just your job to then approach them and ask, tell me more. Tell me why that this is how you want to set up your, your wealth picture. Let me help you in making this fit within your overall wealth plan. Yeah. A lot of things to unpack, but I want to get to the core of it, which is, you know, the goal setting, right? Oftentimes, this space is characterized by speculative behavior, right? Especially if it's direct exposure, it's whether it be a moonshot bet or a long-term holding position that you're hoping, you know, the the price will appreciate. You know, there's this sense of, well, people aren't just building crypto portfolios. Crypto has to fit into the modern portfolio, right? Especially with this market that we're talking about here. And so I think the question is, what is the older generation who's passing on the wealth? What is their goal? And simultaneously, because you are having conversations with both groups, you know, what is the goal of the younger generation types, mm -hmm. right? Obviously, there's a ton of goals. But if we can sort of bring it high level, talk about what these people are after. Is it a, a risk diversification, right, mm -hmm. goal? Is it generating more wealth in an asset class that offers those opportunities? Because from a macro perspective, they're not getting that on bonds, right? And, you know, maybe the equities market is sort of stretched at this point and, and they really aren't able to get you know, those double digit returns maybe at one point, right, during the bull market run. Can you talk a bit about these different goals that these groups have? Absolutely. And one of the biggest value adds, I think, uh, from this, from your podcast here too, is you have a lot of family offices on. And I think uh, a trend in the industry we're seeing is that the retail investor is getting access to quality strategies where they can start engaging with things that normally only family offices or hedge funds or or other structures like those had access to previously. So I think when you're talking to the older generations, you almost have to operate it like, like it's a family office. You know, you're not just building for, you know, what are we going to do for the next two to three years, five years, 10 years? You're building a multi-generational legacy that you want to last the next hundred plus years. So that's the first thing we're talking to. And especially with those higher dollar clients, that's the first thing that we're talking about with them is, and especially if you're going to, gift or transition your wealth to your younger generations. Your younger generations are going to do what they want to do with the wealth. So it, it all comes down risk mitigation and wealth preservation. And that's why, you know, trust structures have to be a main point to generating these, these returns over time. It's not just through the investment allocation. So that's what the older conversation is more around. It's really, how do we plan for the next hundred years? How do we get this to the next generations in the most efficient way possible? to where they can capture and capitalize on this as best as they can. With the younger investors, I think the first question I think with the younger investors is because we've grown up and I am one of those younger investors, you know, I'm 37 and, you know, I've been a part of the investing community now uh, since getting out of college. 
And I think one of the things that we're scared of is we don't know if we're going to make it to the, the traditional definition of what retirement is. We're afraid we're not going to be able to live the same lives that we've seen our parents, our grandparents be able to live um, because of what we've been through with, you know, the 08 crisis. And for me, you know, maybe even even though I was just getting into college at the time, you know, the you know what happened after the dot com bubble. And then you see, you know, just from a global scale, globalization, what's happening and again, even just in the recent few years, all of the, the money printing that's been happening and, and not just money printing, but the credit that's been infused into the system and the money supply and, and how are the economics going to work? We don't know if we're going to be able to meet our goals. And so we're looking for different solutions. And I think that's where a trend in the industry just overall is moving away from your traditional 60-40 portfolio and into this portfolio of the future where you're incorporating alternative asset classes. And that's where technology is enabling this. I think also the innovation that's happening within blockchain and crypto is accelerating the adoption of alternative investments. And I think will accelerate that. Because I think before 2020 or 2021, when you know crypto really took off in you know, mainstream headlines, that adoption of alternative asset classes had really started, but I think it accelerated now that we've seen all of these different dynamics. And then plug into that a war. I mean, what do you even do? How, how do you make sense of any of this from a, from a wealth standpoint? How do we protect? And, how, and then how do we generate? So it, it always comes back to those two things. How are we generating wealth, but also how are we going to protect that wealth? So I, I hope that that answers the question uh, around those different conversations, how we talk to the different generations. Absolutely. Well, for the younger generation, well, okay, now I'm, I'm not going to segment. What is the NFT conversation like? <laughs> there is no Arbor Digital NFT offering, but do you come across clients who do hold NFTs or are interested in doing that? So I'm curious what those conversations are like. Absolutely. And it's an important question because one of the learnings from 2021 was that the majority of investors that were onboarded into the crypto world were through NFTs. It wasn't through buying Uniswap, the asset, or go, getting a MetaMask wallet and then going to, to lend or borrow on Aave. That wasn't how crypto got adopted amongst retail. Mm. It was NFTs. And it all started with Beeple's, I think it was $69 million sale uh, of his artwork, equivalent of Ethereum, 69 million of, of Ethereum. So the NFT conversation is really interesting. And this is where we, we get the opportunity to educate on what an NFT actually is. And non-fungible tokens are just a, a token standard. You know, Ethereum has a token standard. Um, and then on the other layer one blockchains, you can have these token standards that, you know, obviously are NFT token standards. And I think the downfall of the word NFT or the phrase NFT actually uh, was the same as cryptocurrency. Bitcoin was the first cryptocurrency. So now everyone thinks every single digital asset or crypto asset is a, is a cryptocurrency, which is obviously far from the truth once you start uh, getting into the space. The same thing is happening with NFTs. Everybody thinks an NFT is digital art. That's it. Everyone thinks it's a, it's a JPEG, right? It's a, it's a, you can just do that. And I think that's where we have to do a better job. And so there are two conversations we have. The first is, Mark, we bought an NFT. What do we do with it? How can I use this? I don't even know what I bought. I just randomly went on this. So we get to help walk clients through, you know, really the technology behind what they just did, because all they did was just go buy it. They, somebody, a friend or a colleague showed them how to set up a wallet, or they actually even did it for them. And then they just sent them money and they went and bought it for them. And that's where we get to, whew, okay, there's a lot we can do. There's a lot of value we can add here. The second conversation then is around what are NFTs beyond just digital art and collectibles? And that's where 
blockchain for business comes into the fold and utilizing NFT token standards to disrupt really any industry. And the first you're seeing is in supply chain. You're seeing IBM really be at the forefront of this blockchain for business. And again, different than crypto blockchain, open public decentralized blockchain versus a private closed blockchain. And even that is a, is a learning for, we just say that line and clients are like, oh, I had no idea that that was a thing. So that comes out from the NFT conversation. So once clients understand that NFTs are much more than just digital art and collectibles, uh, you start getting into the conversations around, you know, so one of the tokens we have within our portfolio is Audius, ticker audio that operates you. You can buy it, uh, you know, under the Ethereum token standard as well as, uh, you know, on the Solana network. So once they, we kind of showcase to them, here's actually how it works uh, on the Audius platform and how uh, a musician can go in and interact with this. And then it, it seamlessly transitions to the conversation about Web3. It's hard to have an NFT conversation without having a conversation around this idea of Web3, which is still being defined. But I would say those are the two main NFT conversations we have, uh, where you actually have just the investor that just aped into something and they had no idea what they bought. And then the second conversation is really just what are NFTs beyond just digital art and collectibles? Right. And there's the whole other piece of the puzzle right now that I think the ecosystem is uh, trying to build tooling for, which is utility. Not that NFTs have to have utility. Sometimes it can just be something that you buy out of pleasure uh, for having in your investment or, you know, having the physical form, right, of that NFT to look at in the form of art. Um, but the utility piece of the puzzle, I think, will probably be a part of the next wave of education that you offer uh, to clients once NFTs really become, for example, part of, a real meaningful part of their portfolio you know, and they start to explore the ways they can use their assets, right? That's the beauty of crypto. You're not just investing to just, you know, have in your wallet or have in your portfolio. It's really a mixture of having it in the form of an investment, but also participating actively in networks mm -hmm. or in DAOs, for example, to understand what the heck a decentralized autonomous organization really means, right? What does progressive decentralization mean? you know, for that type of structure. So I guess this brings us, you know, quite nicely to the last part of our conversation here, right, which is this focus on education. We've been talking about it for, you know, the past 40 minutes or so, but a big part of the educational offering that you're pushing through Arbor Digital is through your partnership or involvement in something called Planner DAO. So can you talk a bit more about what that is, and also the recent Crossroads event that happened last month in Kansas City, Missouri, I believe. Yeah, and I'm really happy you brought this up uh, because, yeah, our North Star is education. And when I say that, I mean the line that we target. So we have this internally when we know we've had a successful conversation is when we get this line is, you know, whoever has the conversation. You've helped me understand this space in the last 30 seconds in this one conversation than I've been trying to read about for the last six months. So that's our goal. Our goal is if you have a conversation with us, our goal is to get you to say that line. If we do it, then we did our job. If we didn't, then we got some work to do. But a key partner in helping us is, has been this organization called Planner DAO, which is tied to, which hosts and manages a designation specifically engineered for financial professionals. And you could be within insurance, investment management, financial advisory, whichever segment of finance you work in, this is meant to be for you. And it's called the Certified Digital Asset Advisor Program. 
and it is a designation. Um, it is actually listed on the FINRA website as a designation in crypto. It isn't recognized by FINRA. So FINRA does not say this is a crypto designation that we fully back and support, although they do list it as an offering, which is, again, a huge first step. So I think that's really important for people to understand. And I think the, the beautiful thing about it is it's been set up underneath uh, what you mentioned earlier, a decentralized autonomous organization, a DAO, as this next evolution of what it really means to be a part of a community in finance. And a lot of the education that we build is through the education offering that they did. And I'd be remiss not to also mention there is another education platform called uh, DACFP, which is headed up by Rick Edelman. He's, a, he's an RAA industry titan, and he has taken on the responsibility of helping educate the profession as well on digital assets and crypto. So huge kudos to them as well. They operate more under the traditional framework. And that's where I think the big differentiation is that Planner DAO and the CDA, I would say, is probably the next evolution. If you're a younger advisor or a younger financial professional coming in, mm -hmm. you're going to see that more that structure more than you will the the previous structure. And so they're the ones that have really helped us be able to speak the language. And that's where uh, I think what we target and try to do is, and I think Apple does this famously and the, the science behind how they market their very technical products. Um, and what we try to do is, you know, you want to make it to where a uh, at a fifth grade level, if you read it, it's got to be at a fifth grade level. So that way someone can read it, understand it, internalize it, and then be able to go explain it themselves. And that's been a struggle. And, uh, and we aren't going to pretend that we are the best at it. There are many influencers, many people who are very good at being able to do that. And that's where slowly but surely more and more talent, more and more people are coming in who, who have the capability to do that. But we, we owe a lot to that organization and they are committed to being at the forefront of offering education. So they're getting in with, you know, university. So they're, they have a pilot program right now with Rice University, which is actually here in Houston. It's, it's considered one of the Ivy League institutions. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I, I come from Princeton, New Jersey. Uh, so, you know, I come from that area and, you know, I used to coach tennis at Princeton. So it's, it's interesting understanding the academic community as well and how they approach it. Uh, seeing that we are now seeing education programs now start to come into these academic institutions. And there's already been a lot of work done. UC Berkeley has done a lot of work. There's a lot of professors that have written a ton of white papers, um, lots of books on the academic case for blockchain and crypto assets. And that's where you get to see a lot of uh, differing opinions. You know, some from academia actually don't see it as the next evolution. Some do. And that's where it helps you stay out of the, the echo chamber of just, this is all going to solve every problem that we have. I just kind of went on a rant there. I apologize. Lee. I get, I get really passionate about the education piece and there's so many things that go into it. And yes, I'll stop there. I mean, this is what this platform is for, right? It's to just get your thoughts flowing so we can have a conversation, a meaningful conversation, right? About your perspectives on the space. So absolutely no, no issues at all. I mean, I would love for you to actually dive into what does it mean to operate a DAO? Like how do you all financial planners and advisors work together in this structure as it stands right now? And maybe there's a, a, a way in the future that you'd like to move to. Uh, also talk about that if that's part of the plan. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I can't take credit for starting the DAO. That belongs to two people who are good friends of ours. And actually we're going to be at Permissionless uh, here in a week and a half uh, together. Uh, Adam Blumberg and Steve Larson. And they both have operated their own uh, independent advisory firms. Adam, you know, left his firm 
and is strictly in providing education solutions for for digital assets. And then Steve Larson, he actually still operates an RA in, in Colorado. Uh, but those are the two visionaries uh, for the DAO. They are both CFP holders. Steve also is a CPA with a lot of rich history in the traditional world. And they saw this new structure that you could operate under to deliver education and not just the education you first get, you know, when you go through a designation like the CFP or the CFA, but the ongoing education and how to build the community. And I think that's one of the things that crypto brings and decentralizations and the governance piece. Uh, and I think what really attracted them to the DAO was the financial professionals who engage with the education should be the ones building it going forward. They're the ones on the front lines. They're the ones going through the experiences on the front lines. They should be help governing this. And then you also see that there are so many needs that financial professionals need, and especially RIAs need to be able to offer crypto. Why don't we build a DAO that can help build that? And then let's align incentives as well. As well. I think the, the biggest vision too is all this idea that of what blockchain and decentralized autonomous organizations bring is this aligning of incentives. What if we can line the incentives of the users and the consumers of the education with the ownership? You know, own a token, you get to help build. And so right now it starts off pretty centralized of the two people. So Adam and Steve have pretty much helped build. And then there's a few other, Justin Bishop deserves a, a quick shout out as well. Um, a few other people, and I'm sorry if I forget your name, um, but we actually had an offsite together here in Austin, Texas late last year uh, where it was about 10 of us. And we really went through the vision of what this could be and what we wanted to build towards. And it is really towards this, let's align incentives and let's get financial professionals who own the platform. Let's build the token and build the doubts where five years from now, where it's not Steve and Adam, it's the entire community. And let's do this on a global scale. And that's really how, and that's really what, where it's at right now. And there, there are working groups, you know, so I'm part of the education working group, you know, helping build out the, the designation, the, the platform, the, the test itself, you know, how do we get this uh, in, into institutions as well? I um, mean, there's so many people in the education group. And again, there's like, I think like 15 people part of that. There's asset manager mm -hmm. groups, there's RAA groups, there's insurance groups, there's any working group that you want to be a part of, you can go join and then help build the DAO. And it, it's just, it's such an exciting time because it's this new. And that's where I'll, I guess I'll end this off with saying that we are all learning as we build, mm -hmm. which is really fun. It's just all learning. It's all pure creation, which is, which is a really fun place to be in. Absolutely. I mean... Another big part of PlannerDAO, I understand, is on the product side, right? There is an index, a crypto index that's being offered to the everyday, you know, investor. And I want to bring in a tweet by Eric Smith from OnRamp Invest, where he says, as the asset class broadens, diversification will become much more common. But to effectively diversify, low-cost indexing solutions are needed. So we talked a lot about the Arbor Digital offerings, right? We even talked about the kind of pre-Arbor Digital offerings uh, with GBTC and, and Grayscale. And I think now with uh, PlannerDAO, what's being introduced, and please fill in the gaps here, is a product that falls under the ethos of what's called a three-pillar index adoption, uh, where the first part is zero fees. So no fees are being charged. The second is broad market implementation across crypto verticals. And the third part is decentralized governance. And this product is, I believe, called PDAO, mm -hmm. uh, P-D-A-O. Yep. And it's managed by, by you guys, the people within 
the DAO. So can you talk to us a bit about the kind of product development, right? What went into those conversations? Or if you weren't part of those early conversations, what have you heard uh, from the guys, right, who were kind of building up this idea and, you know, now it's manifested into a real product that people can invest in? Yeah. And, and I think the this belongs to, so Steve Larson was kind of the brainchild behind the index. It was one of the ideas that came out from our offsite in December of last year, where we were brainstorming what what do investors need and what do we need to be able to deliver to investors, which was, and, th- and this index, the three pillars came out from that. And then Steve went to building. So he was consulting with, you know, consulting firms. Um, what is it? Uh, you know, many lawyers, many insurance companies, uh, many other, you know, we have a partnership with digital asset research. You know, we, we tried engaging our networks with, you know, FTSE Russell and, and any other partners who are willing to talk to us about, you know, how would we build this as an index, but offer it on in a decentralized way on a blockchain and through this. And obviously mm-hmm. no one really had any ideas. And so we kind of had to go through and, and build it ourselves. And so Steve went and did the work. It's, I think the token trades uh, on Polygon right now. So as long as you have a, a wallet that engages with the Ethereum or Polygon main networks, um, you can actually buy this token right now, which is diversified across many assets. And again, it was initially built just by Steve and Adam and members of the DAO. But again, in future governance, anyone who holds the, the Planner DAO token will be able to participate in how that's built out for the future. So I can't speak to how it was built on the back end. And I think that's evolving over time. But I can mm-hmm. speak to how future, how it's going to be built. And that's where it's going to be controlled and it's going to be updated through the DAO. And that's where the it's, it's all about aligning incentives. And that's where you'll see probably different indexes then be built from everyone coming in. And I think this is just the first of many to come. But I know he consulted with Index Co-op uh, or Coop or whoever, however mm. you say it. Um, they're also a big index player in the crypto space that operates on the the new rails of decentralized blockchain. and. That's where I think a lot of the work was done. There was probably a lot of conversations there. Mm-hmm. But I think for us as a use case right now, RAs can't engage with it because, you know, it's not regulated. Uh, it's fully on crypto rails. But I think there has to be this case study and there has to be this use case. And that's where this is the work that, you know, five years from now, these are the tokens that are going to be the ones that are going to be adopted when we can, when we do have that regulatory clarity or when we have the infrastructure built to where an RAA you know, manages a wallet for clients and then they need a diversified solution that has zero fees and can have mm-hmm. real-time settlement and be diversified across all of these uh, different tokens. And I think that's this will be one of the places that RAs will be able to go at that time. Love it. Love it. As we wrap up here, Mark, I would love to leave it open to you. Like, is there a certain part of the crypto ecosystem we haven't talked about that you just are thinking about all the time, right? It might not necessarily have to do with your exact offerings, but you know, it just gets you excited ideologically or philosophically. Anything to that nature that you wanted to share? Thank you for that opportunity. And I think there, yes, m- most of my, this is a 24-7 asset class. And so we have a team where we have a rotating calendar where we're constantly watching. So it is hard to find time. And that's where I think a lot of people will, will resonate with me who are in this space. It's hard to really find time to go outside of what you're doing because it all operates 24-7. But in the time I do find, the two areas I get very excited about um, because of my history are, one, I'm a former professional gamer. Um, You know, I played Counter-Strike back in the early 2000s. You know, I remember traveling to tournaments in New York and I just, I was born in the wrong generation sometimes, (laughs) I think. 
um, because I remember we got to the semifinals of one big tournament and we made like 200 bucks as a team and there was five of us. And then we got, you know, a small stipend from Alienware at the time of like a thousand bucks for computer equipment. And one of the areas that I get excited about is how blockchain and decentralized blockchain and, and Web3 and the ownership generation uh, is going to come in and change the gaming landscape. Um, you know, you're going to create jobs, you're going to create uh, a new type of brand, a new type of influencer. I mean, economic activity through gaming, I mean, is just, whew. And that's where I think one of the things as a competitive gamer was the challenge was you spent all this time, energy and effort, and it's almost like you're a, you're a cyber athlete, but you were never compensated like an athlete. <laughs> so I think that's going to change with decent. So I get excited about that. The second thing I think uh, I get excited about is I'm also a former uh, tennis player. I coached professionally. Uh, I played professionally. Again, I never got to the upper echelon of, of the tennis world or even the middle echelon. So I won't pretend that I did, but I got to see those worlds. And I think their crypto and blockchain are going to change every industry. Um, and I think one of them is going to be uh, just athletes overall. I mean, the the first iteration mm -hmm. you're seeing that is, you know, all of these professional athletes allocating some of their paychecks to Bitcoin. I think the next iteration that you're starting to see is now DAOs are now coming in and buying organizations, right? They are, they're at least trying to. Mm -hmm. So you have these millions and billions of dollars coming in and coming together under a DAO to try to purchase these big houses um, or these big athletic houses and these teams. Mm -hmm. And so I get excited about that because I, I actually think, and, and I see this with soccer already or, or football, European football. You're seeing things like Socios or Chili's and how crypto and the aligning of incentives of, of fandom and the integration and the crossing of those two worlds of it's just so exciting to how you can engage as a fan now with your favorite teams or your favorite sports. I think that's going to change dramatically over the next 10 years through this technology. So those are the two, two areas I get most excited about in my own time. Anyone would be lucky to have you as a financial advisor. Let's just put it that way. You're so cool. You're an athlete. You're a gamer. <laughs> you, you know, are deep into this crypto space as an advisor. You know, you're a, a macro thinker, I know, as well. Super well-rounded. Mark Nichols, thanks so much for joining Crypto Unstacked. I think this was a great opening conversation into a space that we haven't yet tapped into before. And just so grateful to have you start off the conversation. So thanks so much. Thank you, Leslie, and thank you for everything that you do as well.